0: We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today we're going to have a conversation with our friend and colleague, Dr. Scott Gershwer, about Chris Christie entering the race for the 24 presidential nomination on the Republican side, and also a look at how the presidential election season may play out. So let's listen in. So yes, so today we are going to talk about Chris Christie, uh, who we've actually talked about before, both of you, uh, we both know of him. Because, of course, we're both New Yorkers, but we have you know, different perspective because you're from the city. I'm from the upstate, up by the Finger Finger Lakes region. But we do know the style of Chris Christie, and I think that's why we also have pretty good insight on somebody like Donald Trump. Because we've seen that type of person our entire lives. Sure, sure. So it's easy for us to, to look at him and say, yeah, I recognize that guy and... We probably have a different perspective than a lot of people would have. So Chris Christie jumped into the race. I like him. I think he's got a, I think he's got a possible shot. You don't. So, uh, why, why don't you think Christie's got a shot?
1: Well, okay. So first, let me just preface this by saying that in 2012, if Chris Christie had jumped into the race against Barack Obama or beating Mitt Romney in the, uh, primary, that I would have given him a real fair hearing that I liked his style back in those days. And I thought that he, you know, he seemed to be in charge. He seemed to be doing a good job there in New Jersey. And, and, you know, overall I thought he, he had something going on. He uh, obviously, he did not jump into that. He has said, I, I've seen him on a talk show, uh, firing line. And, and he said, he just wasn't ready at that point to jump into the race when he ran in 2016, he got trounced, uh, never really got off the ground, and I think that that'll continue in this cycle as well. And and one of the reasons for that is is because he had really low approval ratings in New Jersey by the time he was done as governor. His approval rating in New Jersey when he left office was like 15%. It was like the lowest of any governor of any state ever and i think that there was really good reason for him having such low approval ratings he had lost republicans at that point i think his approval rating prior to that was something like was something like 46% which is okay and 47% disapproval okay you know he wasn't they weren't mad about him but after hurricane sandy and his embrace of Barack Obama. Republicans jumped all over him and his approval rating dropped to something like, well, his his approval rating went, went down to 31%. His disapproval went up to 58%. I, I think he's probably one of these guys who is going to be more popular with the pundits on the other side, like an RFK is, and we could talk about him some other time, with sure. Republicans But that Chris Christie politically is just not viable at this point anymore. And we both know why that's the case. It's because of Bridgegate and his his horrific handling of that.
0: So you don't accept his explanation of that, that they were people that worked under him, although he takes responsibility. I I have to admit, he did say he takes responsibility because they were people he appointed, but that what was done was without his knowledge. You don't you don't buy into that? No,
1: I don't buy into that.
0: (laughs) I mean, you, you were living up there at the time I was not. So, I mean, the information we got was a little fuzzy, but I, here, here's my, my let me,
1: let, let me, but Mark, let me just go into one thing about that. The, the, it was not an isolated incident. The port authority of New York and New Jersey is a dual port authority run by both states. And Chris Christie had basically used that as a goodie bag to court people to vote for him, to, to get power brokers, jobs at the Port Authority, to hire people who were loyalists to him to be major players in the Port Authority on the Jersey side. And I, I don't think for a second that, the, that any of this stuff was done without his knowledge. One of the guys who was convicted of it was David Wildstein said that he had said to Chris Christie under his breath at a uh, commemoration of 9-11 that the mayor of Fort Lee was getting frustrated by the amount of traffic there over that week and that he's m- even more frustrated that he can't get his calls returned. And he testified that Christie turned to him and said, I imagine they won't. he won't be getting his calls returned anytime soon. And they both kind of laughed at it. And then Chris Christie said, I'm sh- but I'm sure it's got nothing to do with politics or something like that. I'm sure that Wildstein wouldn't be involved in anything political, and they both laughed about it. So you know, the to me, the, the Bridgegate scandal is is a you know a fairly big scandal. It uh, it costs first responders hours stuck in traffic. In one case, they had to actually leave the ambulance and run to pick up a victim who had chest pains. A woman died now she was 91 years old and her daughter didn't want to make a big deal about it because she felt that it, she didn't want to politicize it her mother's time had come and that was the end of it but that it was a really petty incident that had everything to do with his power and and that I don't believe for a second that anybody is going to allow him to I think even a a mild mannered Asa Hutchinson type will bring that up in in debates And, and make sure that everybody knows exactly what happened at that time. And, and by the way, the, the two people, the three people who were convicted of it, the Supreme Court vacated the convictions based on the idea, get this, that they, that they could not be fraud because they had not obtained any money or property for the conspiracy that they were involved in. It was all political. They all went free. One of them was already in prison and got out. And the other two, uh, who were convicted of it, had their, had, had their convictions overturned by the Supreme court, the U S Supreme court. It's ugly. It's an ugly incident.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely. And I remember it being just even what we got down here in the South about it. It was, seemed like a, like a complete mess. I guess I I'm looking at the Chris Christie situation from the, from the standpoint of Southern politics. Okay. Um, again i grew up in new york but we've been down here for 25 going 27 years whatever it is i remember mark sanford the governor of south carolina who took money from the state went down to see his girlfriend in argentina or wherever and basically was out as as the governor but then he after a few years he ran for congress down in charleston and it seemed like all was forgiven. When we first moved down here, uh, Beasley, David Beasley was the governor and everybody thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread when we, when we first came here. By the time his first, by the time his four-year term was over with, they were ready to run him out on a rail. Mm -hmm. But he made, he did make a semi-comeback here in the South. And it's kind of funny that uh, I always said that South Carolina would have elected uh, Strom Thurmond after he was dead because it was just kind of the way it was. Chris Christie and, I, and here here's my concern because I I watched the PBS town hall that he had in New Hampshire. I also watched the town hall he had with CNN but I I think I got more information out of the one from New Hampshire. He's presenting himself as in many ways when it, when we're looking at Trump he's looking at he's a realist. This is this is who he is and what he was saying as as we mentioned at the beginning, you and I can see it because we grew up with people like that, with the with the Donald Trump types, and I, I think that that's that's refreshing because nobody else seems to really want to do that. Nobody else wants to go toe to toe with Trump, so I think that's a good possibility there. The other thing is is, and I'm, I'm trying to work out the, the the political math here. So you've got Joe Biden who's going to run again he's old. The assumption is that Kamala Harris will be his vice president. Again, if Joe Biden, something was happened to him, knock on wood, nothing would. We wouldn't want anything bad to happen to anybody. But if something was was to happen to him, are we prepared for a president, Kamala Harris? Because you really haven't heard very much about her. So I think there's even those Democrats out there that say, he, Biden's a little too old. I don't know if I can trust the Kamala Harris thing. Give me a Republican that's centrist. And he does try to present himself as a centrist, but so does Asha he, he He's a centrist pretty much. Neither one of them are a DeSantis who wants to change the entire ideology of society. But does that give him a lane with some of those people that say, all right, I don't want... Anybody on that Republican side that is making excuses for Trump. So that's going to eliminate pretty much three-quarters of the field. That leaves you with Hutchins and that leaves you with Christie. Do I want to put Biden back in there and once again risk a President Kamala Harris? So I think there's a, there's a math there that works depending on his policies. Now, again, the, the thing in New Hampshire was was pretty much his rejection of the Trump ideology. There was some little bit of policy in there, but I think after we start, after we start hearing about the policies, I think that that gives him mathematically a way because then he can maybe get those Democrats that are afraid of Biden's age. He can get those Democrats that say, don't give me a Republican as an option that will not say, you know, Trump's Trump was the worst. Give me somebody that says, yeah, here's the reality. Uh, Trump, Trump was terrible. And maybe he also, he has that personality as you and I both have mentioned, he's got that strong personality. Maybe he's going to be able to get some of those Republicans who say, all right, enough of the Trump show, enough of the Trump light shows. We want somebody totally different. And H Asa Hutchins is probably a little too milk toast for us. That's where mm-hmm. that's where I think maybe he has a lane.
1: Right. So uh, Aza Hutchinson is also a very um, pro-life anti-abortion candidate who would alienate a lot of people who are not, um, you know, who, who are not in that lane. And Chris Christie, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. So depending on where you sit in the Republican Party on that particular issue, I think that there's one candidate who is acceptable and the other who is unacceptable which kind of uh, I don't know if it splits it down the middle or not, but it's but it, but it's a big issue in the Republican Party. It's never been a big issue in the Democratic Party. So I don't think that it plays any role at all in Chris Christie's approval number among Democrats. When I watched the um, the town hall meeting, what I was what I came away with, was I will donate to Chris Christie's campaign if he would promise to just keep going after Trump and never run for president if he could just get up there on the debate stage <laughs> and hammer away at Trump all the time the way he ha- the way he did that night and the way he has subsequently i'm all for it but i don't i don't want him to run for president and i don't think he's got a shot at being president i i could be wrong i mean he's got some charisma he definitely has some appeal i i felt it myself and and i think that other people probably do as well but my dream scenario is that Trump's legal problems force him to either deal his way out of the of the run for president or he simply drops out at some point or another because it you know, he's just not viable and he loses the support that he has and his poll numbers drop and he sees that it's not going to happen. And he throws his weight behind a candidate who says that he will pardon Trump on day one when he becomes president and Trump goes all in on that so he can get out of jail quickly or get out of or, or be pardoned for his crimes quick, quickly. So th- those, that is, you know, there's different variations on that scenario, but then once Trump does drop out, I do believe that better candidates will jump in than, than the ones that have jumped in already Two of no offense. Two of them are from South Carolina, but I, but I do think, I do think that, um, that you might see a Sununu or uh, Larry Hogan jump in at that point. It's not going to be that long. The The uh, primaries don't start until, I think, January. So you've got a few months leeway to see how this all plays out, which it probably will before September, I'm guessing. Right. I think right, we'll know right. more about Trump status. And then but once you, Trump is out, uh, I believe that Biden will will also step aside because his job is is done and that they'll have an open primary on the Democratic side as well. And, and that probably a Newsom or somebody like that will will step into the race and, and run away with it. Uh, I don't think that any of the people in in Biden's cabinet other than Kamala Harris will be will be viable to run, even though there are some some good people there like Buttigieg and uh, Raimondo. I don't see them getting out of, out of that the that Biden lane. I, I think Newsom is, by far the, the most ready governor, to to win the nomination on the Democratic side.
0: Right. So you well, know, going back to
1: the a, ab- d- this is my dream.
0: Yeah, that's your dream. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't,
1: this is- I don't know if it's gonna happen, but it, that's my dream.
0: So you know, just going back to the the abortion thing. First of all, Christie's a Roman Catholic as I am. I don't think he's totally as Biden is, as Biden is. I don't think he's as totally, I think his, his philosophy toward abortion goes along with the Biden philosophy. My, my dear friend, uh, the Bishop of Char- the former Bishop of Charleston, uh, would say was, uh, makes me a cafeteria Catholic. Yes. It's not right for me, but it's not for me to tell you what you can do. And I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of the, the lane he takes. But my real question is, is do you really think that in today's political, political society and with the politics we have, our, that that one issue is as important is is, as has as much gravitas as it did before. There used to be, you're right. There used to be, we were one or two issue voters. But I honestly don't know if we're still, especially in today's society, I, I don't know if we're, if that, that plays well anymore.
1: Well, I, you're saying we, but uh, I think that the De- the Republican Party more than the Democratic Party has been a coalition of single issue voters for a long time now. And the issues range from, you know, gun control or lack thereof. Abortion is one. You know, there was an anti-communist wing there for a really long time that was just very, very hawkish that, uh, you know, the law and order set and that these issues were the most important issues i mean there's a low you know there are others like low taxes is another and and they sort of cobble that all together and there's a certain philosophy that emerges from there that makes you a republican right chances are that if you're a republican you've been a republican your whole life and it's not even something that you have control over it's just a it's just something that it is who you are and and so i think that that explains at least in part why you know, Trump was elected in the first place is because I have plenty of friends who don't particularly care for Trump, but will vote for anyone who happens to run on the Republican ticket. And I don't think that, that, uh, they really are that discriminating on who that might be. So as far as the issue is concerned, yeah, I, I do think that there are plenty of still, there are evangelicals who really care about that issue and who might say if the, if the Democrats get the presidency back and the Senate with enough seats to over, you know, to make abortion not a state's right issue, but a national right, that they right. would that they would rail against that, that even that possibility would frighten them in, into voting on the other on the other side. So that, that I do think that like I, I don't honestly think that Asa Hutchinson has much of a chance to become president. But he has that sort of he's got that lane, you know, in, in a way that I don't think Mike Pence, who feels the same way on that issue that he does, has much of a lane because he's just so hated by everybody as a turncoat and this and that. But but that Nikki Haley is kind of on the record as being a little bit more liberal in that she doesn't have the, the sort of fervent support behind her. That they might be able to galvanize uh, in a in a primary process, but again, I'm still hoping that other that better people jump into both races. With with regard to your comments on Kamala Harris, so first of all, I think Joe Biden, you know, he uh, clearly he's old. There's no denying that he won't. He jokes about it all the time now, and so he's not denying it. There's no way to do that, but he continues to do things that surprise you when it comes to. Like only somebody with this kind of experience could do that. And yeah, he's
0: not Dotty. He he's not the the, right, right. the Dotty invalid that Fox News would like us to believe. Yeah.
1: Right. I, I, like right now, he's he's going after Saudi Israeli relations. And if he were able to pull that off in any way, shape, or form, and in will they'll, they'll set a very low bar for it, but any sort of normalization of relations on that front would be an enormous achievement that very few people could, could ever even conceive of accomplishing. And it would be a major accomplishment. He's already moving on. Like he's shifted his focus to foreign policy from, from domestic policies, because I don't think he has the votes to do any more with Congress so that he, so that the natural thing to do is to shift to foreign policy. And he's, he's making foreign policy his next two years. And Kamala Harris is going to run around the country at every ribbon cutting of every factory of every, uh, you know, fix it of a highway or anything like that. Kamala Harris is going to be there making speeches and she's going to be the, have high visibility in their campaign because he's not dumping her and she's going to continue to be his, his running mate and she's going to have to prove that she's ready to become president. She has not had to prove that very few, I think vice presidents are really called upon to do that i mean we go back long enough to dan quayle you know who never okay. looked like he he could be president yet you know he he did win an election with uh, george hw bush you know i don't think people vote for the vice president so i think i i think that biden is going to stand on his on his own record and that if he w- does run again he'll be a very formidable candidate whether or not you believe that he's going to last another four years that you know, frankly, he deserve. I would prefer he didn't, but he deserves to run based sure. on his accomplishments. That yep. he has has been effective. Uh, that he ha- has you know slowly dragged the country a little bit closer together again by doing some bipartisan things and being willing to say to the Republicans in Congress, uh, one of whom, by the way, Lin- uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, South Carolina, Lin- Lin- yes. um, <laughs> is help is helping him with this Saudi Arabia. Israeli connection is going to be hard pressed to say that anybody else could have accomplished that. And, and Lindsey Graham will take credit, you know, his share of credit for it, I believe if it happens. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, but, but there are going to be a bunch of people who go out there and say, well, he's embracing MBS and you know, he's, he's, the, what happened to uh, morality and foreign policy and all that kind of, like there's going to be a lot of that, but there's also going to be this sense that, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia has been a major supporter of terrorism in the world, including 9-11 here and certainly in Israel. And if they withdraw their support for terrorist organizations in Palestine and say that, uh, that, that the Palestinian issue is no longer the most important issue for them as the, as the moral and religious leaders of the Arab world, that is going to be an enormous
0: uh, accomplishment. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. That would be a huge accomplishment. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. And we will continue our conversation with Dr. Gershwer and the presidential election season of the upcoming 2024 presidential election and getting more of his thoughts on this very important issue. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions for their fall 2023 edition. Call for papers information can be found in the description. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering solutions for social issues through multidisciplinary and unbiased research. And BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd like to thank our podcast partners Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society podcast. Finally, Podkite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to remind everyone that the Nova Society podcast is now available on our new YouTube channel. We encourage everyone to check out the channel and like and subscribe. The link can be found in our description. Remember, the power of society is knowledge so for dr brooklyn ann weldon and all of us here at the nova society podcast i'm dr mark bound be well and we hope to see you again next time